0: When is less more? When should your EMS unit be transporting and not treating? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mary Ann Gauchy-Hill, professor of medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA and director of EMS and pediatric emergency medicine fellowships at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. Dr. Gauchy Hill is nationally known for her work as an EMS researcher and educator, and for her leadership in the field of pediatric emergency medicine and pre-hospital care. She has won too many awards for us to mention here, but most recently in 2008, she was awarded a Heroes Award for Achievement by the American College of Emergency Physicians, and that kind of says everything. We're discussing ACLS versus BLS, or when your EMS should scoop and run, and when they should stay and treat. Welcome, Dr. Gauchy Hill. Uh, thank you very much. You know, Marianne, you're a nationally renowned leader in EMS and emergency medicine. Tell us a little about your background. What inspired you, and how did you get here?
1: Well, I started out actually interested in surgery, and when I came to Harbor UCLA Medical Center, which is a public hospital, really saw primary care and the needs of the public in terms of emergency medicine. I spent a lot of time in the emergency department, and then became interested in emergency medicine. So that's kind of how it all began, and Probably an integral component, obviously, to emergency care is the delivery of patients to the emergency department by pre-hospital care providers. And so I started out very interested in that, and when I finished my emergency medicine residency, I was a fellow on one of the first four emergency medical services for children federally funded grants here in California. And the PI on that was James Seidel. And from there, I started getting interested in asking questions about pre-hospital care of children. And so I think that pretty much sparked all my interest and research interest in emergency medical services for children and emergency medical services in general.
0: You know, and it all starts with us as physicians asking questions. So why would anyone call into question the need for ACLS in the field? How did that even arise? I think that the separation between ALS and BLS scope is
1: somewhat artificial, I think. We had to decide what is a basic skill and what's an advanced skill, and generally advanced skills uh, certainly are going to require things like medication delivery and more advanced invasive skills that one would perceive would require greater training. So I think that the original separation in terms of scope was pretty much decided on based on common sense and not necessarily on what works and what doesn't work. Certainly every system is going to have BLS or basic life support skills. And then the question is, do the advanced skills add anything in terms of outcomes? And I think when EMS systems began, it was based on a number of things, obviously survival and what's done in the hospital, and also some of the military database, what happens on the battlefield. So, you know, rapid delivery of patients from the field to definitive care and trauma situations, improved outcome in a battlefield setting. Would that occur on the highway? Nobody knew, but it was a pretty good guess. So I think that that's where some of this came into question. Unfortunately, we've had very little research, Relative to what improves outcomes that people care about, such as survival or neurologic or functional status. And I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing a maturation of our EMS systems to include high-quality
0: research. At ACEP in Chicago, you spoke about OPAL, and I know you'll tell our listeners a little bit about that. Do you know anything about the background in Ontario, what was going on prior to doing this research? Was it just looking for evidence-based medicine, as you mentioned, to challenge the way we've been doing things?
1: Yes, and they also wanted a cost-benefit analysis. If you're going to spend a lot of money training, it costs millions of dollars to train ACLS providers. What are you going to get for that? Is there a benefit to the public for such services? And really, that's a very important question, and I'm sure the public is interested in that type of thing. You know, what's being spent, and does it really matter? And I think that's, in a sense, how it all got started. And they were initially supported by the Emergency Health Services Branch of the Ontario Ministry of Health. And Dr. Steele is an amazing career scientist that has been working at the Medical Research Council of Canada. And so he was charged with how do we investigate whether the addition of ALS services Is going to be cost effective with the outcomes being meaningful to patients, meaning improved survival and those kinds of things. So I think that's how it got started. You know, if we're going to fund these systems,
0: then do they work? For those of you just tuning in, You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Marianne Gauchy-Hill from Harbor, UCLA. And we're discussing new research in EMS, when to scoop and run, and when to stay and treat. Can you define for our listeners a little bit what the OPAL study is that we're talking about and what was their underlying hypothesis?
1: This is the largest pre-hospital study to date. It involved uh, more than 25,000 over an eight-year period. First of all, I should say what OPALS stands for, besides a semi-precious stone. OPALS stands for the Ontario Pre-Hospital Advanced Life Support Study. And really the purpose of it was to evaluate the incremental benefit of rapid defibrillation and pre-hospital advanced cardiac life support for cardiac arrest survival and really then the benefit of ALS for those patients, as well as for patients with traumatic injuries, and really other critically ill pre-hospital patients. That was the overall global purpose of the project.
0: What I'd like to get into is the work that was done in Ontario with the EMS services. They looked at several areas. Let's talk first about their work in trauma, and what did they look at, and what was the results of that study?
1: The question was, and it's really an elegant question because it's very simple, right? The most elegant questions are often simply put. But what they wanted to know is what is the incremental benefit in major trauma survival that could be expected when advanced life support services are provided? And the concept was, you know, they had approximately 20 different communities that had mature, meaning been around for a long time, basic life support services and they wanted to find out that if we train these basic providers to an advanced level does that improve survival for patients who suffer significant trauma and so there were 17 cities that participated and as Many people may know, but major trauma is the second most important condition for children and fourth most for adults treated by EMS in Canada. The mortality is about 20% overall. And what they looked at are adult trauma patients, 16 years of age or older, and they had major injuries. There's something called an injury severity score, which is a way to kind of compare between the severity of injury. And these, everybody would consider greater than 12, that is, for this score, to be a major trauma patient, meaning there's multiple injuries. That could result in mortality. And what they wanted to look at is, was there an effect of introducing ALS, which the ALS provider can do things like endotracheal intubation, which is a advanced skill, which involves, you know, placing a plastic tube in the throat, and then, in order to provide respiration, versus BLS. And that is basically placing a mask, as everyone knows, is that mask ventilation. And the question, does that matter? In addition, the ALS providers would have additional training for assessment, and they also could place an IV line, a intravenous line, and give fluids. So the question was, does it matter? The bottom line is that they found that in terms of survival, which is what, you know, we care about in terms of the public, there was no difference in survival by the addition of ALS services, meaning there was no improved survival by advanced life support over basic life support. In addition, they wanted to look at okay, if you did survive, were you more functionally independent if you were cared for? Fine, advanced life support provider. And they looked at that at discharge and at six months, and there was no difference between BLS and ALS in that setting. And finally, they had an opportunity to look a little further because there has been questions about head-injured patients and use of intubation in that particular subset of patients. And what they found is that the use of ALS So the advanced life support provider increased mortality in patients who initially had a Glasgow Coma scale, which is a scale looking at the severity of head injury, less than nine. So those are all moderate to severe head injured patients. So the use of ALS services actually decreased survival in that particular subset of patients.
0: Now, of course, this gives rise to a whole host of questions, and one of them is, how did they eliminate other confounders, like the care received in the ER, for example, or the time to the OR, or other factors?
1: The fact that we had a study that was before and after, all the patients got treated the same across the system. And so they could control for things such as injury severity, types of injuries that occurred and since this occurred across an entire system, it was a population-based sample. So whatever factors affected, say, the BLS group would also affect the ALS group, and there would be no real consideration that there would be geographic differences because it occurred across the entire geographic area.
0: The outcome still kind of surprises me. What's your comments on it? How do you view it? Let me just Tell you a couple things. One is when you're an ALS
1: provider, you tend to want to use ALS skills. Okay. Now, obviously, you want to measure when you need to use those ALS skills, but you tend to want to use those skills. So, a patient that would qualify for intubation, they would probably make those attempts. We do know that multiple attempts can lead to hypoxic insult. We do know that hypoxia is very bad in terms of survival for patients with head injury, and that's been shown in a number of systems. And probably the one most recently was in San Diego where they showed intubating head-injured patients led to not only significant hypoxia but increased mortality. And so I believe that in that particular subset of patients, the attempting intubation, which results, unfortunately,
0: it's just the way it is, and a hypoxic insult may decrease survival. I would counter it with you can be hypoxic from the intubation attempt or you could be hypoxic from the length of transit and somebody not providing an adequate airway as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think you have a good point. The bottom line is that we showed in children and other people have shown in adult patients that providing oxygenation and ventilation with bag masks can be as effective and certainly what's needed as a baseline and that the intubation can result in additional complications. The other thing that can happen is that the time it takes to perform ALS skills in the field, although you know, people have tried to measure this, and they say, well, it's only two minutes for this and a minute for that. Those extra minutes can be meaningful when you're looking at either hypoxia or hypertension, especially in an injury-sensitized brain.
0: So, you know, it certainly opens the door for a whole host of questions, and unfortunately we're almost out of time, but what take-home points would you have for our listeners today regarding the state-of-the-art for EMS services responding to trauma in the field? Aside from obviously more studies are called for, but is there anything else you would say as a take-home point?
1: I think the take-home point is good assessment skills are great bag mask skills are going to be key, and I think in many systems it's been de-emphasized with the addition of more advanced skills. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, every EMS provider in the country should be skilled in the performance of bag mask ventilation. I feel very strongly about that. In addition, good assessment skills, getting them from point A to point B, meaning rapid definitive care, I think has been shown... In many systems, a definitive care being a trauma center for most of these patients who are major trauma patients is really key. So evaluation, extrication, getting them out, assessing them, deciding when bag mask is needed, and then being able to perform that appropriately and skillfully is going to save lives.
0: Thank you for being our
1: guest today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being on the program.
0: Our thanks goes to Dr. Marianne Gauchy-Hill, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing EMS treatment, when is doing less in the field, really more. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-639-6157. That's 888 Thank you for listening.